Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you join us as we continue our series, Marriage 2.0. This morning, Jonathan Maddox has us look further at some foundations of marriage as he talks about conflict, or as it's sometimes said, can't we all just get along? Listen as Jonathan helps us traverse through the stuff that gets on our nerves and causes emotional reactions. And then he gives us some pointers to find ways to resolve conflict by helping one another so that we can build intimacy and honor God. Good morning. Praise the Lord. Working through my tall person issues, got to raise up my stand and get my stuff together. How is everyone doing today? How about this side? How's everybody doing today? All right. Happy Father's Day, gentlemen. All right. All right. It's the one day we get every year, and we still got a barbecue, right? Still got a barbecue. I was in uh, Macy's yesterday, and I was uh, watching this, getting something from my father, and I was uh, watching this lady. She had like a probably three-year-old daughter that was running around Macy's wrecking havoc. And I was just saying to myself, thank you, Lord. I am not the only one. I wanted to just say, you know, you are not the only one whose kids go crazy when they get in stores. I was just so excited to see somebody else's child running around, pulling everything off the shelves and just wrecking havoc because that happens to us all the time. I was talking to a lady over here today. She said, you know, yesterday um, uh, the little guy in our house got into the lotion or got into something and had it all over his face and all over his hair. I was like, that happens to you, too. Our daughter would disappear. We'll go around, find some lotions, pump it all out, put it all over her face and hair. And we're like. You've been eating chicken? Like, what is, what is, where have you been? How did you get all this stuff on your face? But it's just stuff that parents contend with and deal with. And I'm learning to laugh because I didn't always have that kind of sense of humor. So once again, man, happy Father's Day. Um, today we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Last week we started talking about the foundations for marriage and how uh, God created marriage with four primary principles um, found in Genesis 2. Uh, for this reason shall a man leave his mother and father and cleave unto his wife. They shall become one flesh. They were both naked and not ashamed uh, with one another. So the principles being leaving, you know, we, we, we make marriage our primary uh, focus and responsibility in our lives after our relationship with God. Our, our marriage is number one. Uh, we cleave. We, uh, marriage was uh, designed to be permanent. God desired for one man to live with one woman uh, for all eternity. Be married until one of y'all kick the bucket. God says, you know, I'm going to give you the grace. I'm going to give you the mercy. I'm going to give you the resources to stay together permanently uh, throughout the course of your life. Uh, the next one was, was, was building transparency in our relationships, learning how to uh, be vulnerable, learning how to live with another person that's different from you, learning how to share yourself in a way that builds intimacy and builds friendship. And then lastly, uh, God calls us to build intimacy in our relationships, which is basically a growing, thriving friendship where you guys grow deeper in love, closer to one another over time as you spend time together. Well, this week we're going to uh, pick up with another fun subject that is uh, contaminates every relationship, and it's called a conflict. Today we're going to talk about conflict. You can see the name of the title is, Can't We All Just Get Along? Yeah. So let's go to James chapter 4, verses 1, 2, 3, and then we will get started. James chapter 4 says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. 
You kill and covet. You cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you do ask God, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. There's a humorous story about two porcupines that were uh, stuck in a snowstorm. And as you can imagine, at a certain point, it got pretty cold. And so the porcupines had to get closer together to warm each other up like normal porcupines do when they're out in the cold. And unfortunately, the closer they got together, their quills started going up. And then immediately their quills would go up and then they'd back off each other and give each other some space. And then it, inevitably it would get cold again. And then they'd try it again. They'd move closer one to another. And unfortunately, as they got closer together, their quills would poke up and they poked each other and they and they got uh, separated from one another. And that process just happened over and over and over again. And I thought that was just a beautiful analogy uh, for how conflict works in our marriages. You know, we're doing well, things are going fine. And all of a sudden we have a little blow up and everybody goes in their corners and nobody's talking. Nobody's uh, complimenting one another. Nobody, nobody's doing what, what couples should be doing in marriage. And then we try to come back together and then something else blows up and then we separate and we go to our own corners. And that happens to be a process that goes on and on and on. So it's really critical for us to talk about resolving conflict, because if we don't learn to resolve conflict, it has devastating consequences for our relationships. So what's the number one predictor of divorce? Some of you might say it's infidelity or managing finances or the in-laws. Some people call them the outlaws, whatever you want to call them. It could be kids. It could be figuring out, who, you know, what kind of peanut butter you're going to buy or whatever's going to go and where you're going to live, where you're going to spend holidays. Uh, it's none of those things. Actually, the number one predictor of divorce is the inability to resolve conflict. You know, couples that can't resolve conflict inevitably uh, and in many cases end up in divorce court. And our goal as Christians and our goal as a church is to resource people to one, understand what conflict's purpose is and then to be able to resolve it in a way that builds intimacy and that honors God. And so you may ask me, so why is that the case? Why is it that conflict is so devastating in relationships? Well, I'm glad you asked. All right. So there's a little process that goes on in every relationship and see if it sounds familiar to what goes on in your home. So what happens is usually somebody's buttons get pushed. Anybody got any buttons? Just stuff that just gets on your nerves and just bothers you that your spouse does either to you or your spouse does and they don't have any idea that they're doing it. But somehow your buttons get pushed, my buttons get pushed, and then I get upset. I have some sort of emotional reaction to what's going on. Why are you always doing that? What's going on? You know, why is this happening again? Haven't we talked about this? And then generally what happens is once my buttons get pushed and I respond emotionally, what generally happens is usually one of the four uh, horsemen of the apocalypse come uh, trotting out. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the book of Revelation, but the, the four horsemen of the apocalypse are the four cataclysmic um, things that are going to happen to the earth before Jesus comes back and redeems us all and brings us into heavenly glory. But John Gottman found out that in relationships, he can tell when things are going downhill, when one or more of these four things are going on in a relationship. Uh, the first one being criticism. Criticism is attacking your partner's personality or character, usually with the intent of making someone right and someone wrong. It's usually a response to feeling attacked, invalidated. Uh, somebody's being insensitive, but it's usually some sort of comment like, you know, there's something really wrong with you. You know, we've had this conversation 15 times, and no matter how many times we have it, no matter how uh, nicely I say it, you still do one, two, three, four. What's the matter with you? It's, it's just it's just a criticism. It just happens. It's just things that we say that tear our spouses. Now, y'all got real quiet. So does this stuff happen at your house, too? I guess so. Ain't nobody saying nothing. So criticism is the first one. The second one is contempt. Contempt is attacking your partner's sense of self with the intention to insult or to psychologically abuse them. 
It's criticizing them with, 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 with anger attached to it. It's, it's attacking their character. It's attacking them at the core of their being around things that they may or may not be able to uh, change. And it may not, it's not always work. Sometimes it's just a look. Sometimes we can look at our spouse in a way that's very contemptuous. Sometimes we can relate to them in ways that are very contemptuous. But we got criticism. We got contempt. And then we have defensiveness. Defensiveness is seeing oneself as the victim and warding off any sort of perceived attack. Last week, we talked a little bit about how when Jonathan and David were building intimacy, Jonathan gave David his sword as a evidence that if something ever happens to you, if you ever get hurt in this relationship, it's not going to be because of my gift of sarcasm. It's not going to be because I love yelling when I get upset. It's not going to be my ability to be indifferent and be cold towards you when you when you hurt my feeling. Defensiveness comes up usually when we get hurt and we respond in a way to protect ourselves. Usually it's a way we respond when it's difficult for us to take responsibility for our own behavior. You know, sometimes we can make sport of blaming our spouses for things that we ultimately need to be responsible for. It's not my spouse's responsibility, my wife's responsibility that I have a bunch of emotional buttons that I need to work on. It's not my wife's responsibility that I was parented in a particular way. It's not my wife's responsibility that in previous relationships I was hurt in a particular kind of way and now I want to take it out on her. That's not her responsibility. We have to learn to take responsibility for the things that cause us to react in relationships where they ultimately will have a devastating effect on the intimacy that we're trying to cultivate in our marriages. And then lastly, uh, it's just stonewalling, withdrawing from the relationship as a way to avoid conflict. Partners may think they are trying to be neutral, but stonewalling conveys disapproval, icy distance, separation, disconnection or smugness. And man, this is the one we're guilty of all the time. You know, we, I don't want to talk about it. Let's talk about it tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. We get, we get lost in our hobbies or we get lost in the kids or we get lost in our jobs and we just never really get back around to talking about the things that are important to our wife, the things that our wife wants to talk about. I don't know if you guys know, but there is a, uh, there was some research that was done and uh, men, when men's heart beats start beating over a hundred beats a minute, we lose the capacity to think rationally. Did you know that? We just lose the capacity to be rational. We lose the capacity to say things that are intelligent. We lose the capacity to uh, actively involve in conversation. So that's why it's easier for us to just pull back and just not get involved. Because usually when you guys come at us, when you say something, you're usually right. But usually we just feel really overwhelmed by all the emotion. And so we just say, okay, rather than allowing this to go down a negative road, I am going to just back away and just go sit in my room for the next seven months. It's safer in there. We got a TV. All right, so, so my buttons gets pushed. I'm upset. I respond with one of these things, maybe. I'm assuming most of us do. And then the next thing that happens is that we actually ignore repair attempts. Repair attempts are things that couples do to kind of break the ice when things get tense. I mean, how many of you guys make silly faces when, you're, when your spouse is mad just to kind of get them to chill out? Or tell a joke or say, okay, honey, you're, yeah, 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 you're right. Yeah, you're right. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. When we get in this cycle, we stop doing that. We stop, we stop. We stop doing it one and then we stop start overlooking when our spouse does it. And then uh, conflict just tends to escalate and escalate and escalate. And then the next thing that happens is that there's an escalation of negative thoughts in the relationship. God, we always going through this. We always arguing about something. I knew I didn't like her. I knew I should have married that other girl. I knew I should have married that other guy. And this pattern goes on, on and on and on and on and on. And if it's not managed in a way that's going to actually build intimacy, it will actually destroy your relationship. Next slide. So the process of not managed will lead to problems seeming severe and unresolvable. I'm, I'm actually a marriage therapist by training. Didn't seem to give me any sort of leg up when I got married. I still had to learn just like everybody else. 
had to learn and fall down and figure it out. But when you're engaged in this cycle, problems seem gigantic. They seem uh, unsurmountable. They seem unresolvable because it seems like all you guys are doing is arguing and talking about things. The second thing it does is uh, it puts you in a position where you feel like talking about things really don't matter. You know, why should we even try to talk about this? You know, it always blows up. You know, it always gets escalated. You always start complaining and criticizing. No matter what I do, things don't get better. No matter what I say, things don't change. From there, it leads to uh, people leading parallel lives. It's like he lives his life. He goes to work, hangs out with his buddies, does what he does. She goes to work, hangs out with her girlfriends, and they begin to live these two parallel lives in the same home, which then leads to loneliness and has the potential to leading us to divorce court. So now you can see why it's important for us to get a hold on conflict resolution, why it's important for us to get a hold on. How can we communicate uh, anger and frustration and things that go on in our relationship in a way that is helpful and then puts us in a position to be able to resolve those things so that we can build intimacy and closeness in our lives. Research has shown that healthy couples have learned in their day to day lives how to keep negative thoughts and feelings about their spouse, which we all have. We all have them. We all think things about our spouses. We're human. Sin has contaminated all of our hearts and all of our minds. And so there are times when these things happen. But they have learned how to minimize that and not allow the negative ones to overcome the positive ones that go on in a relationship. And the way that they do that, have you guys ever heard of the concept of the love bank? Have you ever heard of the concept of a checking account? Right. All right. Let's work on the checking account. So here's what happens. So. You guys get paid every two weeks. You put $4,800 in your checking account. You guys get paid and then you write $3,200 worth of checks and you still got money left over at the end of the week or the end of the pay period or the end of the month or whatever's going on. Now, let's say, let's say you get married, let's say you get paid $4,800 and you write $5,500 worth of checks. What happens? Come on, people. It's Father's Day. What happens? That's right. You check about you will overdraft your account. Marriages are the same way. There's a five to one ratio. Healthy couples have learned to make five investments for every one withdrawal that they have in their relationship. That could be anything from a nice note, a pretty poem, uh, some affection, saying something positive about your spouse. But healthy couples have learned that if I do five things for the one time, I know I'm going to blow it. I think we're going to be all right. And so my encouragement is maybe you sit down sometime and figure out what are five or six or seven or ten things I can do to make continual investments into my spouse. So when I inevitably blow it, there's a buffer in my relationship account with him or with her because we all going to fall down and blow it. The interesting thing is, is that couples that go through the cycle that I just described, they have a point eight to one ratio. They have point eight positive sentiments or positive activities that go on for every one time they blow it. So after a while, they're in tremendous deficit in their relationship. And the interesting thing is that as you engage in this cycle over time, it actually erodes. It, it, it will erodes the positive memories of the, of the past in your relationship. You start to forget about the things that you used to do. You start forgetting about the, all the fun times that you have. And then you start saying to yourself, why did I marry them? Why are we? To, did we ever have fun together? Do, do, do we ever enjoy each other's company? So it's really important that we get a handle on how to manage this aspect. He was here last week, the puppy. And, and we talked about last week how everybody buys a puppy because the front end is so cute. But nobody wants to deal with the backside. You don't, right? You, you don't buy a puppy saying this dog is going to go to the bathroom all over my house. No, you don't. But you have to manage it so that it doesn't become overwhelming and actually change the way you feel about your puppy. The same thing is true about relationships. All right. All right. Now we're going to lighten it up a little bit because everybody in here is looking at me like, wow, it's a bit much for Father's Day. 
My car, your car, everybody's car has a um, uh, dashboard lights. They have that, that, that little oil sign. They have the you don't have on your seatbelt sign. They have that little one in the bottom left corner that says your, uh, your head gasket's going out, 1500 bucks at least. So, so usually what happens is, is that when that light goes off in our car, most of us don't get underneath the dashboard and unplug it and ignore it. Because that would have long-term devastating consequences to the ability of your car to, to take you here and there. But it's amazing how in relationships, when conflicts arise over and over again, we don't see that as a dashboard light and say, you know, maybe we need to do something about that. Maybe we need to make some changes in the way we interact with them. Maybe we need to go see the pastor or go see a professional or get involved in a small group. Ongoing, unresolvable conflict needs to be addressed because of all the things that we talked about a minute ago. All right. So let's talk about what conflict is and, and, and what it's really about. So the first thing we need to realize is that conflict is normal. Everybody has conflict. I don't care how nice your neighbor is dressed today. I don't care how, you know, how nightly ironed their shirt is or, 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 or how idealistic you may think their marriage is. Every couple has conflict and it is completely normal. When two strangers bring two separate lives together and move into the same little apartment, because most of us started out in little old apartments, there are going to be fireworks. There are, there are going to be disagreements. There are going to be things that arise that are going to uh, rub you raw. You know, maybe you like Jiffy peanut butter and he just buys the kind the, the, the jar that says peanut butter. Or maybe or maybe he came from a home where certain things were uh, mom's responsibility was to clean the house. So when he got married, the first thing, he, oh, my wife is going to clean the house. She's going to take care of all this. And so he just thinks he has the gift of disorganization and, and making things messy around the house. And he expects you to clean it. So those things are normal. We're, we are going to have conflict. But let's let's look at the second one. Uh, not only is it normal, it's inevitable because we are different. We're different because one's a man and one's a woman. We're different because we have two different personalities. And we're different because we all come from different family of families of origin. And we'll talk a little bit more about those. So how is it that men and women are different? I have some funny little things to kind of lighten things up a little bit. Women have more imagination than men. They need it to tell men how wonderful they are. <laughs> he said, hey, man, <laughs> women have women have a number of faults. Men only have two: everything they say and everything they do. <laughs> Diamonds are a girl's best friend. Dogs are a man's best friend. And now you know which sex is smarter. Right. All right. All right. All right. I didn't write these. A woman marries a man expecting he will never change. He will change, but he doesn't. A woman marries a man marries a woman expecting that she won't change. And she does. There are two times when a man doesn't understand a woman before and after marriage. And then lastly, a woman has the last word in any argument. Anything a man says after that is the beginning of a new argument. <laughs> men and women are very different. There's another interesting thing that are uh, in the differences between men and women. Women generally have about 25,000 words that they have to use every day. 25,000. That, that's a lot of words. And I, I, I don't know what y'all talking about, but that's a lot of words. Men, on the other hand, only have 12,500 words. So you can see where God's comical sense of humor comes in, in, into, into effect there. Because depending on your husband's job, by the time he gets back home from work, he has already spent his 12,500 words and you still got 12,500 more to go. So that's why he's not talking much when he gets home. That's why he's reaching for the remote control or, or going in his office or going in the garage to work on the car or do whatever his hobby is. He is out of words. Any more conversations that happen once he gets home, start pulling words out of tomorrow's ration. 
So why is it that should be some help that it's not you, it's us. There's something wrong with us. We just only have so many words and we have usually already used them up. So not only are men and women different, men and women have different personalities. There are generally four different types of personalities um, that psychologists have identified. The first one is the dominant personality. They're very direct. They're very decisive. They're, they're very much doers. They're go-getters. They want to get stuff done. They're, they're type A personalities. How many of you married somebody that's got a type A personality? Going, 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 going. Got ideas. Got to get it done. Got to get it taken care of. Well, that could be positive, but it also has its negative side in that they can become domineering and demanding. How many of you guys have been married over five years? All right. Now, I'm going to ask you this question, but I don't want you to raise your hand. How many of you have, are married to a spouse who likes to tell you how to use the bathroom? Like you go into the bathroom and they're giving you suggestions like you have never been to the bathroom before. Don't forget to flush. You, you know, don't, don't forget. I, I, I put some brand new soap in there. Don't forget to wash your hands. It's like I've been to the bathroom before. I know what I'm doing. Dominant personalities like to have input and decisiveness about everything. And then there's the influential personality. This person can be very inspirational, very interactive and very interesting. Uh, but they can also be very impulsive and very and very irritating at times because they always have a new agenda. Well, let's do this and and let's do that and and let's do this and and let's do that. Well, can we finish the first thing we started? Can we can we can we do that first and and get that finished before we move on to something else? Then we have the compliant personality. This person is generally much more cautious and careful. They're conscientious. They think about everything. They consider all the implications. But the problem is that they can be too calculating. They can become condescending because they think other people are shallow and they don't think things through respectively. You know, the frustration with them is at times it's like, can we stop thinking and start doing something? You know, all this talking is fun, but we got to pull the trigger on something. And then lastly, we have the steady personality. This person is a stable, supportive and sincere personality. But the challenge with them is, is that they can be slow and they can be highly sensitive. We can get our feelings hurt very quickly. So with all these different personality types, you can see how it could cause fireworks in a home if if the wife has a dominant personality and the husband's much more steady. Or if the wife is much more compliant and the husband is much more influential, there's opportunities for there to be difficulties and be challenges. But there's also great um, opportunities and challenges for us to grow and become more like Christ as we go through this process. And lastly, not only are we different because we're men and we're women, we're different because we come to the table with different values. We're we're raised in different homes. One of the things that uh, I found humorous um, after my wife and I got married is um, uh, when I was a little boy, um, my mother used to clean. She she would clean the house and she would clean the bathrooms. And every time after she cleaned the bathroom, I'd go in there and and the toilet water would be white. I was amazed that the toilet water was white. And I never figured out how it was until I got older and became an adult and realized that when you pour a pine saw in the toilet, the water turns white. You know, that was just a fascinating trick to me. Plus, it made the house smell nice and clean. Well, my wife doesn't like the smell of pine saw in the house. It's it's just a very strong odor for her. She didn't like it. And so that became a a point of contention because one of my values was, well, the house ain't clean if it don't smell like 400 pounds of pine saw. (laughs) Right? It, it, It ain't clean. It ain't clean. And so I had to learn how to adjust my values and begin to say, okay, I can put a little less pine saw in the toilet, but I'm going to clean it. It's part of my military background. Uh, but you may be in a family that came from a background of, of huggers. How many of you came from families of huggers? Very, very affectionate, very touchy-feely, very, very, you know, you see each other and, and you're rubbing each other's shoulders and touching each other's backs. Some of us didn't come from families like that. My family, we, we didn't hug. We, we, didn't, we, 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 we didn't hug. And so it was, <laughs> we didn't hug. I mean, you know, I, I, did, did we hug growing up? 
No, we didn't. We, we were not huggers. We were like four pinball balls in a pinball machine. We were just bouncing off each other. We loved each other. We cared about each other, but there wasn't a lot of affection. And so when we got married, my wife used to go to hug my mother and she'd be like, oh, my God. Oh, oh, all right. She, she told her one day, be patient, be patient. I'm, I'm learning to like this. We're just not huggers. And so 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 knowing that helped her understand me better, that you know, part of my affinity toward affection and stuff and my my lack of skills is because I didn't come from a family of huggers. So we see that there's the potential for because there are gender differences because there are family value differences and because there are personality differences, we have to learn how to live in a way that is going to build intimacy and closeness. Conflict helps us to uh, learn to manage change because we're all growing. Life is dynamic. It's not static. You know, you introduce kids, you introduce jobs, you introduce losing jobs, health issues, all those other kinds of challenges. Uh, resolving conflict in those times helps us to realize that, hey, you know, life changes. And I'm going to and if I'm going to adapt to this and if we're going to adapt to this as, as a couple, we're going to have to grow in our capacity to conversate one with another. And then lastly, uh, conflict has a purpose. You know, there's a couple of things you never want to see made in real life. It's politics, sausage and then oneness in marriage, because oneness in marriage requires it. large amounts of conflict, large amounts of, of difficulties, large amounts of differences that are managed in a way where you and I, when we come together and resolve them, we're better together than we were arguing about our individual selves or what it is that we individually bring to the table. I love God's word because God's word is always a reminder that we're not in it alone. Psalm 127 and one says, unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain that build it. And that's an encouragement to remind us that God is in the midst of our marriages. God is in the midst of our life. God is in the midst of the building and encouraging and strengthening and filling us with his grace and filling us with his mercy and giving us the capacity to do marriage because marriage is not natural. It's not. It's not natural for two strangers to come together and live in harmony. It's not. It's spiritual. And we need the influence of the Holy Spirit and we need the presence of God in our lives to be able to do it well. We need God's presence and then we need tools to effectively do it. So here are some things that we can do to learn to effectively resolve conflict. I'm going to read from you from the book of Philippians chapter 2 and then we'll talk about a few things. Philippians chapter 2 says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And your attitude should be that the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of a cross. So Philippians 2 is telling us is that if we're going to effectively learn to resolve conflict, we need to maintain and obtain and cultivate the heart of a servant. Now, effective conflict resolution requires humility. And humility is best example, exemplified when we learn to listen well. You know, resolving conflict requires that we learn to listen well. We learn to listen to the opinions and to the thoughts and the ideas that our spouses are bringing to the table. Our spouses are very intelligent. They know themselves very well and they know what does and does not work for them. 
And if we're going to live with them in harmony and if we're going to learn to resolve conflict, it's going to require that we spend some time listening to what it is that our spouse is telling us so that we can make some adjustments so that we can have harmony in our home. It requires that we listen well. It requires that we put the other person first. I tell you, I, and I said it last week, I didn't realize how selfish I was until I got married because it was just me. I had been in the military. I was in college and I was doing my own thing. And if I wanted to go, then I would go. And if I wanted to come, I want, I'd come. And if I didn't want to go home, I could just hang out and do whatever I wanted to do. But when you get married, that stuff is over, right? That, it's supposed to be. That is over. You no longer are the master of your own domain. You have to check in. Right? You got to check in. Honey, do you mind if? You know, you got to ask permission. Can people come over to your house? Uh, do you mind if uh, my mama come over? Um, you, think, you think you can make that pie you always make, maybe? You think? You, you just have to be connected and sensitive to the other person that lives in your home and be willing to tolerate them saying, no, no, I'm not interested in that. No, not this time. It requires that we put the other person first. And then it also requires that we give people the grace to be themselves. That can be a challenge because I heard a, heard a preacher say one time, when you get married, uh, you don't go up to the altar and say, I, I redo. You say, I do. I take you just like you are. I don't redo. I'm not trying to fix you. I'm not trying to make you in my image and, my, and in my own likeness. My goal is not to be Holy Ghost Junior. It is not my job to change you. It's the Holy Spirit's job to change you. And my task is to accept you as you are. So if we're going to exemplify the heart of a servant in our marriages, we have to listen well. We have to put the other person first. And then we have to give them the grace to be themselves because ultimately we are all broken. We are all works in progress. We are all doing the best that we can with the resources that we have by God's grace. Number two, effective communication, effective conflict resolution requires a teachable heart. A willingness to learn from the other person. We, we, we just we just have to be willing to learn. You know, I didn't know what it was like to be married to Diane until I got married to Diane. You don't know what it's like being married to your spouse until you get married to your spouse. And so sometimes you have to be willing to say, OK, let me let me figure this joke out. He always does this and, and he always does that when he has a cup of coffee in the morning. He seems to do better than when he doesn't. I'm going to make some coffee. You know, she, she responds better when I say it this way and, and not necessarily that way, because sometimes we can be pretty obstinate. I, I'm just going to be me. I'm just going to do it the way I do it. That's just the way it is. You're going to have to take it or leave it. And, and, and that doesn't work well. But we have to be teachable. We have to be willing to shape our minds around the needs of our spouse, our needs of the person that we are in a lifelong relationship with. And then lastly, we have to give focused attention. We have to spend time talking you know, with our lives being so busy with kids and basketball practice and soccer practice and smartphones and TVs and all the other responsibilities that we have in life, it can seem like we look up every day and it's 930. Oh, my God, it's time to go to bed. You get up tomorrow, do the same thing again. Oh, my God, it's 930 already. It's time to go to bed. But we have to make dedicated time for us to talk. Diane and I have a have a well, what works for us is that going on drives. You know, we have driven from, I went to graduate school in Oklahoma. We drove from Oklahoma to Kansas, provided a lot of opportunity for us to talk. We drive back and forth to Los Angeles a lot to see her family, provides opportunity for us to talk. We'll drive to Napa, other places, it provides opportunity for us to talk. But it creates dedicated time for us to spend together talking about the things that are important to us. One thing it does is that we're both in the car together, so it provides an opportunity to talk. And then usually I drive fast enough so if anybody gets angry, nobody's going to jump out. Nobody's going to jump out, but we have to figure out times for us to talk. Maybe it's you guys getting coffee 
on the weekends, or maybe it's you guys during your date night, or maybe it's getting up early in the morning before the kids get up in the morning and just spending dedicated, purposeful time talking about what's important to your relationship, what needs to change, what needs to, what needs to be different. It's not easy, but it's a part of the process for us to grow if we're going to build conflict resolution into our relationships. The Bible reminds us that we are to be quick to hear and slow to speak. How many of you guys are impulsive speakers? Something comes to your mind. You said it before you've known that you said it. And then you realize, oh, well, I have to try to unring that bell. The Bible reminds us that we should be quick to hear. We should be quick to put some duct tape on our lips. We should be quick to sit there and sit on our hands. We should be quick to listen to what it is our spouse is actually saying so that we can respond in a way that's going to be edifying and that's going to build up the relationship and actually build up our spouse. This is our last slide. We're going to talk about some practical things that we can do, and then we're going to wrap this up today. The first thing that always works well is praying together regularly. Christian couples should pray together regularly. You know, I understand the reality of having kids. My wife and I used to pray a lot more regularly than when we had kids, and now we're just tired. It's like I look at her and she look at me. I feel like, you tired? She's like, I'm tired. But it's important for us to make time for us to pray, not just for one another, and not just to include God in the process, but to pray through those things that we seem to be at a stalemate at, whether it's about how we're going to discipline or where we're going to spend our money or where we're going on vacation. We have found out that usually when we pray, God comes up with a better solution for us that both of us can embrace than if we both try to go into the power struggle and do it on our own. We need to pray together regularly. The second thing is that we need to take timeouts when things get heated. We all have gone through the cycles of getting into arguments and then just continuing down the path. You ever had one of those arguments where she says something, you say something, and then y'all both realize this is going nowhere quick, but then y'all just keep going down the path. Well, hey, I'm on it now. I'm, 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 I'm running this one out. That becomes very destructive over time. We need to learn to take timeouts. You know, maybe you need to go in the bathroom and clap your hands and say, thank you, Jesus, until you feel better. Or maybe somebody needs to go for a walk or maybe somebody needs to actually say, we need to take a time out, honey. This is not going anywhere positive. But it's important for us to take timeouts to break those negative cycles so that we can begin to come back to our senses and have meaningful conversations that are ultimately going to lead to greater intimacy and conflict resolution. Now, you can't take permanent timeouts. And I know men, we're guilty of this. We'll take a timeout and try to have that timeout last seven months. Uh, honey, we're going to talk about that today. No, 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 I don't feel like it. How about tomorrow? No, 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 I'm not feeling about that. We have to make time to revisit those concerns so that they can be resolved because you can't have all these open doors in your relationship and expect to grow in intimacy and expect to grow in closeness and actually learn the skills that it takes to resolve conflict. Fourthly, we need to learn to use I statements. Anytime you start a statement with you, and then say whatever it is after that, you're probably going to trigger something in your spouse. You always this, or, or you never that, or every time I this, you that. Those generally never go well, and I'm going to tell you from experience, they don't go well. But if we can learn to say things like, you know, I get upset when, one, two, three, four, five. You know, it bothers me when we're late for church. You know, it, it upsets me when we're up at six in the morning and it takes us four hours to get out the door. What can we do to work on that? You know, this bothers me or that bothers me. But anytime you start with a you statement, it's probably going to end up with one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse running through your living room. All right. When possible, identify a win-win solution. We want to figure out how we both can win here. This isn't a me against you. This isn't a war. This is something that we need to figure out. Is there a win-win solution here? Sometimes there isn't. 
but many times there are. And we need to talk through and pray through and seek wisdom and seek godly counsel. Is there a win-win situation here? Can you get a little bit of what you want and I get a little bit of what we want and then we go ahead together? Because I'm going to tell you, and many of you already know, you do not always get what you want in marriage. Sometimes it's 100 zero. You're giving everything and your spouse may be giving little. Or sometimes it's 90-10 or 80-20. And many times it's inverted. So we have to be willing to be flexible to identify win-win situations so that we can live in harmony with our spouses and with one another. And then lastly, we have to learn to be patient because people do not change overnight. You know, I tell God all the time, God, I want patience and I want it right now. But it doesn't work like that. Patience is a process. The Bible says that patience works experience or tribulation and tribulation hope. And so we have to realize that sometimes it's the conflict and the challenges and the difficulties that we're going through in our lives that are one, building patience in us. And then two, giving your spouse the grace to grow. You know, conflict isn't the dirty C word. It actually has a purpose. It has a function. And if we are managing it appropriately, God can use it to bring greater intimacy and greater closeness in our marriages and in our lives. And then for you single people who are looking forward to get married, I'm just glad that you're here. You get to hear that conflict is a reality. And I don't care how cute that girl is or how buff that young man is that you're looking at. There's going to be days where y'all are, once you get married, where those are going to be challenged. And that's not even going to matter. But it's important for you to know that conflict can be managed. Conflict can be skillfully dealt with. And conflicts can be resolved in a way that honors God and brings harmony in our homes. So let's stand to our feet. I'm not sure where, you know, any of you are today. Some of you may be masters at resolving conflict and have learned over time how to do what works well for your relationship. And some of you may not. Some of you may really be struggling and saying, you know, we've been having the same conversation or going down this same road or I'm tired of all those horses in my living room. This this it just isn't working. We need to figure out some different ways to do it. We're going to pray today. And I guess I want to end on this last thought that all happy marriages take work and take time. They're like a beautiful garden. Beautiful gardens don't just happen. You have to plant flowers, fertilize the ground, but you ultimately have to pull the weeds. So, Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us. We thank you for your word. We thank you that marriage is designed by you and created by you for your glory and for your for our our benefit. But there are times, Lord, where marriage can be challenging. We pray that you would infuse our hearts and our minds with your love and with your grace and with your mercy so that we can um, identify how we can learn to resolve conflict in ways that builds closeness between us as couples. Lord, we pray that you would bless us today as we go forward. Help us to identify one or two things that we can do differently, that we can build closeness and intimacy in our lives. I pray for all the fathers in the room that they would enjoy their day. God, pray that you would bless them, strengthen them, and be with them is our prayer. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, exists to help everyone take their next step closer to Jesus. Thanks again for listening.